Welcome to the third installment of my series on SARS-CoV-2 and its vaccines. I've decided to break it down into multiple installments for a couple of reasons. Number one, the amount of data is voluminous. If I sat here and laid it all out, it would be an hours-long presentation. Most people don't have the time to either listen to or watch a presentation that is hours long. Secondly, on social media, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Apple Podcast, whether it be YouTube or Facebook, you cannot state a conclusion that the establishment doesn't want stated. Uh, they will suspend you. They will deplatform you. So if I were to lay this all out in an hours-long presentation and then say at the very end, so the conclusions are and then state the conclusions, I would be suspended or deplatformed. So in the alternative, because the information is the information, it's like when Galileo was accused of heresy for saying that the Earth actually orbited the sun rather than the other way around, his answer was, I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll admit that it wasn't true. I'll admit that it was heresy, whatever you want, because in the end, it's science and it's going to come out in the wash anyway. Well, I feel the same way about this. So what I can do is break it down into multiple installments you can watch all the various installments, and at the end, we can kick around the possible conclusions, but I can't state them definitively because they are in contrast with the establishment narrative. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Today, in installment number three, we're going to discuss the concerns expressed by mRNA expert Dr. Robert Malone. Let's start with who Dr. Malone is, because if he's not important, why are we talking about him, right? Dr. Malone is a virologist and immunologist. He has spent the lion's share of his professional life developing vaccines. In the 1980s, Malone was the scientist who discovered that it was possible for an mRNA protected by liposomes to be placed into cultured cells and then signal for the information needed for the production of a protein. For those who aren't aware, that is the core, the core foundational bedrock of the current mRNA vaccines. In other words, it was Malone's discovery that's made mRNA vaccines possible. In the early 90s, in collaboration with two other scientists, Malone theorized how to synthesize mRNA in a laboratory to trigger the production of the desired protein. This is the second foundational element of the current mRNA-type vaccines. So again, Malone had the first core foundational discovery that has enabled mRNA vaccines to exist, and then he theorized the second principle that allowed them to exist. So I think in a way it's quite fair to say that Dr. Malone is the father of the mRNA vaccines. The current establishment narrative here in 2021 is to attempt to diminish Malone's reputation, claiming that it was the people who came later who commercialized, who monetized his discoveries, that they're the ones that actually discovered the mRNA vaccine. So no, without Malone, there would not be an mRNA vaccine. 
Wikipedia is one of the primary tools used by the establishment to try and diminish Malone's reputation, paint him as some sort of a whack job. Here's a quote from Wikipedia concerning Malone. Malone received criticism for propagating COVID-19 misinformation, including making unsupported claims about the alleged toxicity of spike proteins generated by some COVID-19 vaccines. Quote, close quote. However, the reference links to those claims don't say that about Malone. They wrote it out in the text that everybody reads, but then when you go down to the reference links, it doesn't say that. <laughs> As an example, in a PolitiFact fact check, okay, so wait a second, why is PolitiFact, PolitiFact, fact checking the guy who is the expert, the guy who invented the damn mRNA technology? How in the world is PolitiFact justified in fact or qualified to fact check Malone? Nevertheless, here's what they said about Malone. Quote, Malone said he sent manuscripts months ago to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration asserting the spike protein posed a health risk. According to Malone, quote, their determination was that they didn't think there was sufficient documentation of the risk that the spike was biologically active. How is that a falsehood? He simply said, I sent a bunch of information to the FDA. They sent something back saying they didn't think it was sufficient. That's not a falsehood, as it claims in the Wikipedia narrative. Another link in the reference section of that Wikipedia section on Malone is Reuters fact-checking, which is essentially the, the majority of it is cut and paste from PolitiFact. Now, honestly, I don't know which came first. I don't know who's copying who, because the Reuters page doesn't have a date on it. Nevertheless, the Reuters... Fact-checking says, Malone was on a show with two other doctors asserting that the spike protein is cytotoxic. Cytotoxic means that there's some level of toxicity to a cell or to a group of cells or to all cells relevant to whatever you're talking about. That's what cytotoxicity is. In the Reuters fact-checking, Ann Durbin, professor of international health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health said, quote, the spike protein does not kill those cells. It's not cytotoxic. So that's a bait and switch <laughs> because cytotoxic does not mean it kills the cells. It simply means there's some level of toxicity. If the level of toxicity is great enough, it can kill the cells, but cytotoxicity is not synonymous with cell death. In other words, Malone never said it kills cells. He said the spike protein can be toxic to cells. So in order to claim he's wrong in the fact-checking, they had to go beyond what he said, fabricate this story about cell death, and then say, well, it doesn't kill the cells. But he didn't say it does. Speaking of Reuters fact-checking, how much should we trust Reuters? Well, Jim Smith who is on the board of directors of Pfizer. He just left a couple of years ago as the president and CEO of Reuters. Huh. That's almost like a conflict of interest. Another referenced link in that Wikipedia piece was to a piece of clickbait that appeared on Slate written by an author named Nicole Carlis. She says in her article, the claims about the effectiveness of ivermectin is a right-wing conspiracy theory. So Nicole Carlos is what? She's a physiologist. She's an MD. She's an immunologist. She's, 
No. <laughs> she has a degree in journalism. She used to write about love, fashion, travel, young women's lifestyle choices. Oh, yeah, she claimed to fame as she was at HollywoodLife.com and then ended up at Slate, which is a hard-left publication. And if you look at her stories over the last year, again, having absolutely no expertise in anything that would bear upon SARS-CoV-2 or its vaccines, she is a cheerleader for the vaccines, completely biased. So those are some pretty great reference links for Wikipedia, right? But I'm not surprised because I discuss Wikipedia in my book, Body Science, and here's what I say in Body Science about Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the poster child for supporting anything and everything the authorities say, no matter how plainly non-factual, while disparaging any information that runs counter to what the authorities say, no matter how obviously factual. In short, while Wikipedia may be useful for mundane inquiries, if one is seeking factual data concerning an, emergence, an emerging truth that is opposed by an establishment lie, Wikipedia is worthless. In short, when it comes to SARS-CoV-2 and its vaccines, Wikipedia is utterly useless. All right, so now that we know a little bit about Dr. Robert Malone and the hatchet job that the establishment has attempted to do on him for speaking publicly about his concerns, even though he is the father of mRNA technology, let's take a look at some of the comments, the concerns that Dr. Malone has actually stated. Malone references a statement by Fauci, where Fauci said that nasal titers are higher in vaccinated persons than in unvaccinated persons. And Malone makes the point that that is a key indicator that antibody-dependent enhancement is taking place. A couple of installments down the road in the series, I'm going to be talking exclusively about antibody-dependent enhancement, so you'll have a much fuller understanding of that when you see that particular installment. But for today, Malone's description of antibody-dependent enhancement is as follows. The vaccine causes the virus to become more infectious than would happen in the absence of vaccination. Let me read that again. The vaccine causes the virus to become more infectious than would happen in the absence of a vaccination. Clearly, that is a bad thing. Malone points out that prior to SARS-CoV-2, Every single attempt at a coronavirus vaccine was halted because the trial showed that they created ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement. I'll give you a little glimpse into what the future ADE installment is going to discuss by saying this. So if all of the prior attempts at creating a coronavirus vaccine were stopped because of ADE, why was this particular vaccine, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, why was that not stopped for the same reason? because they didn't test for it. If you were facing the largest financial reward in your corporate history, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, and you knew that you would have to stop, you could not move forward with that if you tested for that thing right there that stopped every previous attempt. So we just won't test for that. Here's an exact quote from Dr. Malone. What the vaccine is causing in the waning phase is the virus to replicate more efficiently than it would otherwise, which is what we call antibody-dependent enhancement, close quote. 
Here's a particularly revealing statement. He says, if the concentration in the blood, that's what titers actually means, if the concentration in the blood of SARS-CoV-2 are higher in vaccinated people than in unvaccinated people, that would be the smoking gun that the Pfizer vaccine in particular is creating ADE. So you might be shocked to know that the medical establishment, National Institutes of Health, CDC, Johns Hopkins, you name it. So how many of them have taken blood samples from vaccinated and unvaccinated people and compared the titers, the concentration of SARS-CoV-2 in the blood? That would be none. Malone inferentially suggests that if the needed blood sampling was performed and its results were consistent with antibody-dependent enhancement, vaccine distribution should stop immediately. When you understand that if this blood sampling was done and the results indicated ADE was occurring, that the necessary step would be to stop distributing the vaccine and to stop promoting everyone in the planet getting the vaccine, then you understand why these establishment experts, again, such as NIH and CDC and Johns Hopkins, why they will not touch this particular simple blood test with a 10-foot pole. Because no matter what is happening to the people who are getting vaccinated, they have no intention of stopping it, even if ADE is occurring, which is obviously a horrible thing that is detrimental to people's health. But they have no intention of testing for it because they don't want to find it. Here's some irony for you. Despite Dr. Malone having a lifetime of professional experience as a developer of vaccines, he is now branded as an anti-vaxxer. People are actually calling him an anti-vaxxer because he's looking at the vaccine, in particular the Pfizer vaccine, and he's saying, based on the data, it suggests that there's a problem here. Perhaps we should verify. We should take the next step, which is simple. We should take the next step to verify or not that this is happening. If it is happening, we need to stop distribution of this vaccine because it's harming people. <laughs> How a guy who spent his entire professional career developing vaccines can be called an anti-vaxxer because he expresses his concerns over one particular vaccine in his history of working with vaccine development is just insane. It's kind of mind-blowing to imagine that there's a relatively large percentage of the American public that is indeed exactly that stupid. So here's a question for you. Who do you think should be, in your mind, more trustworthy? Uh, those that stand to make billions and billions and billions of dollars, and they're minions in government. By the way, I've already reported on the fact that Pfizer and its European subsidiary have, in the first six months of the vaccine rollout, have generated more than 35 Billion dollars, 35 billion in six months. Think about that. So, do you trust the people who speak on the behalf of those making 35 plus billion dollars? Or do you trust somebody who has no dog in the fight? Or he's not against the vaccine per se, he's a professional vaccine developer as his long term career. 
Uh, he's a virologist and an immunologist with no dog in the fight. And he says, look, I think there's basis for a concern. And whether or not, whether or not I'm right can be verified by this very simple research process. And the establishment narrative in response to that is to try and diminish his reputation and brand him with kooky labels like anti-vaxxer. Sadly, this really doesn't surprise me because in body science, I discuss decades upon decades upon decades of falsehoods that have knowingly and intentionally led the American people to be the most unhealthy society in the history of the planet. And just like with SARS-CoV-2 and its vaccines, those falsehoods, they didn't begin with Joe the auto mechanic or Fred the accountant. The falsehoods were created and promoted and distributed by the so-called experts who stood to make billions of dollars or they worked for the people who were going to be making billions of dollars. So I'm well familiar with this phenomenon and how it works and what we're seeing right now. So based on my research concerning uh, physiology and nutritional falsehoods, I will tell you that billion-dollar or trillion-dollar industries just spewing lies wholesale, coast to coast, from Canada to the Mexican border, from the Pacific to the Atlantic, that this is not the exception. It is the rule. I just mentioned that the people of the United States are the most unhealthy people as a society in the history of the world. And that's not hyperbole. That is a factually accurate, statistically accurate statement that Americans today are the most unhealthy society in the history of the world. So I want to encourage you to go to drreality.news, pick yourself up a copy of Body Science, which will detail those six decades of corruption that I've discussed. And then it will lay out for you what that was meant to mask, what the true physiology is of the human body. And being able to understand the sophistry and then being able to understand the truth, the reality, the science, follow the science has become such a phrase, right? But most of the people who say follow the science, what they really mean is they're following somebody they're emotionally connected to or they're watching the news at night. That's following the science. I, on the other hand, am a scientist. So I want to encourage you to read body science, learn something rather than believing what you see online or in magazines or on the news, learn some science, actually do really follow the science and get amazingly healthy. This is just a fanciful thing. But if all 333 million Americans read Body Science tomorrow and adopted it, uh, what they learn in there, the science, the science, that's the key. The medical profession would go, for the most part, bankrupt. The processed food industry, toast. Big pharma, toast. The, their income would probably drop somewhere in the range of uh, 75 to 90 percent if Americans understood true human physiology. Huh. So if they were going to lose literally trillions of dollars, you think they might lie to you to keep it? Especially considering they lied to you to get it.